Well, hey, today I want to continue in our series called Picture Perfect Family. Picture Perfect Family. And today I want to talk about making the cut. Making the cut. And I'll explain that here in just a few minutes what that means. Now, how many of you, uh, you married somebody that was kind of opposite of you? Go ahead, raise your hand. You know, you married somebody that was the opposite of you. And what's interesting is this, that people oftentimes say that when they're dating, the opposites attract, right? They attract. But sometimes, unfortunately, when you're married, the opposites, they stop attracting and they start attacking. Attacking. And, uh, and listen, don't elbow the person sitting next to you, all right? Come on now, all right? You can say amen if you like, but, you know, just that's it. Uh, but that happens. Opposites tend to attack. And, uh, for example, you know, when you're dating, you know, he may be really laid back. And he might be really easygoing. And that, that was attractional to you. You say, man, I love that. But then you get married and he's a lazy bum. He gets nothing done around the house. Or, or she may be really, really, really organized and, 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 and really driven, right? Organized. And, and that was attractional when you were dating. But then you got married and, and she, she becomes a control freak. Opposite tend to attract, but later on, they attack. You know, in my marriage, got to be careful here. <laughs> I don't want to be in a doghouse this afternoon. But you know, Karen is very, very different than me. She's an introvert. I'm an extrovert. Uh, uh, she's a thinker. I'm a feeler. Uh, she stops to smell the rose, to stop and smell the roses, right? I drive over them because I'm in a hurry. I've got a lot of wild ideas. She's got a lot of reasons why my wild ideas are too wild to try. We are different. But not a bad thing that we're different. It's actually a great thing. God actually uses our differences to enhance, to strengthen our, our, our relationship, our marriage. And the problem is this. Is that Satan will use our differences to divide us. You see, Satan is at an all-out attack on the family today. And he'll do whatever he can to divide, to conquer, and to get us against each other. And, and so today, here's what I want to talk about. I want to talk about staying committed, even when it's tough. Even when it's tough. And before I jump into this message. I want to do a little disclaimer. Um, and I just want to say that with all sincerity, with all um, sensitivity and understanding, that I know there are some people in our church family today, you've experienced the pain and you've experienced the brokenness of a past divorce. And I, I now know that there are just many of you that say, God, I didn't want it to happen. I tried everything in my power to not make that happen. And, and, and I'm here today, and I, and, and I have, yeah, I wish we could have, it could have been different. 
Or, or maybe there's some of you who would say, you know, Scott, I was stupid. I did some things that were really, really dumb. And I've got lots of regrets. I, it was my fault in many ways. And I, I want you to hear this. It's not my heart today to create any condemnation, to, uh, to create any guilt for what's happened in the past. We can't change the past. But we can change the future. And I want to teach us from the scripture today for all of us what it is to be, to be committed and what the Bible teaches about being committed in marriage and how we can have a God-honoring marriage. We can't change the past, but God can change our future. And so I want to jump in today to Matthew chapter 19. And it's a conversation between Jesus and the Pharisees. Now the Pharisees, they always came to Jesus to try a little game of gotcha. They were always looking for a gotcha moment with Jesus. All right, they were trying to trip him up on this idea of marriage and divorce. And so we kind of jump into verse number three and we see how Jesus responded in this situation. Verse number three, some Pharisees that came to him to touch him. All right, they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his, his, uh, his wife for any and every reason? Now, let me just stop you for a minute because unfortunately during this time, a woman was seen as property. They were an entity. This was just how it was in that time. I'm not trying to belittle anybody here, but that's just the way it was in the culture. So a man could just say, you know, I don't want you no more, you know, um, I, I, it's just divorce. And so the Pharisees are trying to put Jesus in this little trap. And they're wondering how he's going to respond. And we're going to see how Jesus just kind of shots the listeners that's in this conversation. He doesn't just raise the standard a little bit. In fact, Jesus doesn't raise the standard a whole lot. But Jesus takes the standard. He raises the standard all the way to the top. And he just shots everybody that's listening. And here, here's how he responds to verse 4. He says, haven't you read? And then he goes back to Genesis, and he's going to quote um, a passage in Genesis. He said, at the beginning. He said, have you not read? That at the beginning, the creator, he made them male and female. And he said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. I want to stop here again because I want to make a, a couple observations. Number one, it's something we believe here at late point, you know, and I know it's not popular, but it's biblical, um, that marriage is made between a man and a woman. That's how it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it. It still is today. And I know there's a lot of opinions on that. I know that might make me look like a bigot. It might make me look like I'm judgmental or even hateful. And I'm not trying to be. I'm just trying to be biblical. It's what the Bible says. And Jesus made that observation. But here's the second observation I want to mention here. It's the word united. Well, you see in that verse number five, the word united to his wife. In some translations, we see the word cleave. Well, it might say, that a, that a man will leave his father and mother and be cleaved to his wife. 
which means, if you take a note, to make covenant. To make covenant. That's what that means. A man and a, will leave his parents and, be, and will make covenant to his wife. And Jesus emphasizes that marriage covenant where the two will become one flesh. And then he said in verse 6, they're no longer two, but one flesh. He's not saying that you no longer have a personality. He's not saying that you no longer have gifts or you no longer have an identity. What Jesus is saying is that the two individuals are now, in God's eyes, one flesh, united before God. And he said, therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. See, the Bible says, it's very important, that you can't unwind what God made one. You can't unwind what God made one. What God has joined together, let no one separate. And when a married couple unwind, uh, what God made one, it, it, it gets very painful and it gets very, very, very messy. And the problem in our culture today is people lost sight of what a marriage is, the biblical marriage. They think marriage, we treat marriage, oftentimes we treat marriage like a contract, an agreement. If you're taking note, a contract is based on mutual distrust, mutual distrust. And unfortunately, that's what marriage has become. It's become a contract-driven idea. Uh, and, and a contract is based on mutual distrust. What does a contract do? Think about this. A contract, it limits my responsibility. It increases my rights. In other words, when we're in a contract with someone, it's saying that I'm in as far as you're in. I'm in as far as you're in. How, how many of you ever rented a house or you live in an apartment at one time? You know, some of you, okay. Or maybe you rented out a house. You had a home or a place to rent out. And, uh, and, and if you ever rented a house, you had them sign a contract. Why? It's because you don't know them, and therefore, because you don't know them, you don't trust them. You know, basically, a contract says, listen, I'm in as far as you're in. If you don't do what you've agreed to do, then you're out. And vice versa. Listen, you have some right, too. This contract holds me to some standard as a renter. You know, you have some right. If I don't hold my end of a deal, then you can cast judgment against me. Uh, if you don't live up to my expectation, I'm out. But I trust you as far as you perform it, as far as you pay the bills, or do what you're supposed to do, X, Y, and Z. I'm in as far as you're in. And that's what so many people do with a marriage. We treat our marriage like it's a contract. We say, hey, I'm, I'm as far in as you're in. As long as you make me happy, as long as you meet my needs, 
as long as nothing better comes along, then we'll stick with this deal. We'll stick with it. But if you don't live up to your end of the contract, then hey, I'm out. I'm out. And the problem with marriage today is that so many couples, they treat their marriage like a contract. Like a contract. And the question that's hanging in the balance today is this, how good is that contract? How good is a marital contract? You know, over the last 24 hours, 3,000 couples have filed for divorce. Studies showed that 65% of all new marriages ends in divorce. And of the remaining 35%, 10% of those marriages decided to stick together in those new marriages, 10% are miserable. So if you combine the stats, you know, you get 75% of all brand new marriages, they either end in divorce or they're just plain miserable. Let me ask you a question. How would you like to sign a contract to lease a car knowing in your mind that 75% of the time the car is not going to run? <laughs> or how many would like to sign up for a cell phone contract knowing that 75% of the time your car is not going to go through? Or how about this? How many of you would like to fly on an airplane knowing that has a 75% chance of crashing. See, none of us would, none of us would be, no, I wouldn't have for any of that stuff. No way. And so if we believe that this research, just 75% of new marriages either ends in divorce or is miserable, then those of us who are married, then if we treat marriage as a contract, we should just plan on divorce. I mean, let's just go ahead and put all of our cards on the table. 75% of all new marriages end up in, in the deep weeds. So if, if, if we're married in a marital contract, then we just better plan on divorce. That is, if we view marriage as a contract. But Jesus is raising the bar what marriage is. Marriage is not a contract. Marriage is a whole nother level. It's a covenant. See, God viewed marriage, not a contract, but as a covenant. You see, most marriage experts, uh, talk shows, uh, you can read you know, books on there. Very rarely do you see the idea of a marriage covenant. It's a foreign concept. Unfortunately, it's a foreign concept to many people. We, uh, we see marriage... <laughs> Nowadays, as a contract, I hear all the time, oh, you know, if, we can, if it works out, it works out. We can get out. Because they treat a marriage like a contract. But marriage is a whole different level than a contract. It's a covenant. What's a covenant? Here's what a covenant is. A covenant, if you're looking, if you're taking note, it's based on mutual Commitment. So a contract based on mutual distrust, covenant is based on mutual commitment. A covenant is an all or nothing 
covenant. It's an all or nothing commitment. You know, if you describe a covenant in our modern day vocabulary, we might say that a covenant is a contract on steroids. It's all in. I am all in. Not halfway. I'm all in. That's what a covenant is. By the way, we see this, this covenant terminology throughout Scripture. Our God is a covenant God. Aren't, aren't you glad that we don't serve a contract God? I mean, we'd be in big trouble if we were signing a contract with God. Because none of us, none of us, I mean, absolute none of us, including me, will hold up our end of the bargain. Because we would drop the ball every day. Every day I'm going to have to renegotiate a new contract with God just to keep it going. I'm sure some of you are like, man, you say every day, probably for me, every hour. We'd be in so much trouble living up to a contract God. But our God is a covenant God who unconditionally loves you. He unconditionally loved me. He is all the way, all the way for you. Even when we're not for him. Even when we do drop the ball. Even when we, and we absolutely don't deserve God's love, but he gives it to us anyway. He gives us an opportunity for salvation. It's because of this idea of covenant. We see throughout the Bible, we see God making a covenant with Abraham, Noah. We see covenant in the Old Testament with, uh, between two people uh, like David and his best friend, Jonathan. And they made a covenant. They said, listen, I've got your back. You can count on me all the way. That's covenant. We have a covenant God. The word covenant in the Hebrew is the word bereft. Bereft. And it literally means a cotton. A cotton. They would make the cut. That's what happens in a covenant relationship, in a covenant agreement. They would actually make the cut. And here's what they would do. If there were the two individuals or two parties, they would come together and, and, and they would make a covenant. And this is how they made the covenant. They would bring a bowl or they bring a, a, uh, uh, maybe a lamb or a sheep, depends on how wealthy or how poor they were. And they would bring it to the, to the, you know, to the field I was going to say to the table, but this would be very, very hard to do this on a table, all right? But they would bring the cow or the bull to the field. And they would have an arbitrator, a person to, to, to negotiate or to, to kind of moderate, you know, the deal. And he would take that bull and he would cut the bull in half. All right, now you got two bowls, two half of the bowl. All right, same bowl, two parts. He put the one bowl over here, and then he'll take the other bowl over here. Then he'll take the two people, 
that making an agreement, and he would nick uh, the, uh, the hands and, 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 of both parties, and they would join together a handshake kind of a deal with blood mingling through. And they would join hands, and they would circle in a figure eight around the two parts of the ball, the two halves of the ball. They would walk in a figure eight, right there, together, with hand in hand, and they would walk around the, the pattern seven times. I'm only gonna do it one time. I'm gonna get dizzy. <laughs> and then at the end of the day, by the way, this walk, they call it the walk of death. Say it with me, the walk of death. Sounds tough, doesn't it? They would do this walk of death ceremony. And basically what they were saying is this. I am all in. And you're all in too. And if I ever fall short, if I don't follow through on this commitment, what happened to this bull may happen to me. Yeah, you understand, the covenant was serious business. I mean, you didn't just jump in a covenant without thinking of the ramification of that covenant. You know, and so that, that, that was the Old Testament covenant idea. And guess what? That's what happened in an Old Testament marriage. They would do the same thing. Can you imagine that wedding? Can you imagine we do something like that today? You know, that would be kind of, you know, wow, interesting. You know? But they would literally do this in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would bring, you know, the, the bride and the groom, they bring a bowl, animal, to a priest. The priest would cut that bowl and then separate the bowl or the animal. He does the whole nicking in the hand. Pull out a knife. Can you imagine me pulling out a knife during a wedding ceremony? <laughs> he would make the cut. He would make the cut. And then, and then he would grab the, the bride's hand and the groom's hand with blood flowing down from their hands and he would join them together and let the blood mingle. The blood lingered because Leviticus judges, and this is why they do this, because the life of the blood or the life of the person is in the blood. And so he would literally, literally let the blood mingle life in that ceremony. And then a priest would take a cord or a rope and, and tie their hand together. And then they would do this walk of death and this figure eight. You ever thought about, think about the figure eight. What does figure eight represent? Eternity. There's no end date to a covenant. And so they he have their hand together, blood mingling, symbolizing that they're no longer two, but one. What God has joined together, let no man separate. You don't unwind what God made one. They're joined together and the two become one, one flesh. And they make the cup. Now, we don't make the cut today in our ceremony, but literally, that's what you're doing. You are making the cut, a covenant. 
I'm all in. Not the contract mentality. I am 100% all in. No matter what. No matter what. By the way, I, think, I always think it's a great idea to have a path to officiate a wedding. Now, if you didn't do it that way, it's not the end of the world, okay? But if you still have a choice, come and stand before a pastor in the church and answer to God. You know, just like I did. When, I, uh, when a pastor asked me, when I got married to Karen, when a pastor asked me, Scott, do you take Karen to be your wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse? for richer or for poorer, forsaken all others. Be faithful to her as long as you are happy. <laughs> now, now, be faithful to her as long as she fulfills her part of the deal. That sound right? No. Or, or be faithful to her as long as nobody better comes along. <laughs> I didn't say that. Pastor said, be faithful to her as long as you both shall live. No end date. A contract is an end date, but a covenant to death do its part. Gotta make the cut. Now what if you treat your marriage with that mindset? What if, what if we actually did what they did in the Old Testament? I think it, obviously it would make a lot of people think about what they're doing. But marriage has become so frivolous. It's not sacred like it was. We know it in, our, in the head, but we don't really know it in our heart. What if we strive for a covenant marriage, which you know what, no matter what, I am all in. Just like God loves you unconditionally, I love her or I love him unconditionally. Now what happens when a marriage becomes difficult? What happens when it goes south? What happens when the marriage is painful? You may say, well, God, I'm not happy. I, I don't trust him. Uh, or, you know, she's not this, she's not that. Or I just don't love him anymore. Or, I don't love her anymore. You see, to get divorced because you run out of love, uh, it's like selling your car because you ran out of gas. It's like, you know, to, to, to get divorced because your marriage is not going well, because you, it's like selling your car because you run out of gas. And what do you do? What do you do when you're low on love? When the love has died, what do you do? You don't get rid of it challenge you to refill the love. Refill the love. And don't get me wrong. I know there will be times when you go, but I don't have any more love to give. I, I don't have any more forgiveness. I don't have any more grace. I've done everything, God. You don't understand. I have done everything that I can. And guess what? If you're seeking God, if you are a person who strives after God, and if you're making him number one, it'll, it'll pay off. Because here's what happens. When you don't have any love left to give, 
Guess who loved through you? The God who is love. By the way, love is not something he does. Love is something he is. He is love. You see, God forgives through you when you don't feel like forgiving. God loves through you even when you don't feel like loving. And as hard as it gets, and yes, it, it can be difficult. It may, be seem, it may seem impossible. You let God do what you don't have the strength to do, and you let him continue to love through you. Through you. Don't give up. Don't unwind what God has made one. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 7, so you know this, you know the first. He said, don't be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man, he reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, in other words, when you're, please, when you're trying to please God and seek God and seek God, when you're sowing, when you're planting that, to please the Spirit, here's what you'll get. You'll reap from the Spirit, you'll reap eternal life. Now, verse 9, and for some of you, this is the verse you need to hang on to. It says, let us not become weary in doing good, in doing the right thing. Don't be tired of it. Don't be weary of it. Even when you feel like quitting, don't be weary in doing good. For at the proper time, the proper time, proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. You see, some of you this morning, you need to claim this following statement that I'm about to make. It's a simple statement, but I hope you don't miss the power of it. Our marriage, if you're taking notes, our marriage is as good as we decide for it to be. I mean, you can, you can plant, what you plant into it is what you'll get out of it. You plant little, you'll get little. You plant a lot, you'll get a lot. I want you to understand, we decide, that's the emphasis, we decide. And some of you might be thinking, okay, Scott, I don't think you've got a clue. I mean, you, you, you live in your perfect little pastor's world where you and your wife are the most perfect couple and your kids, they, they can do no wrong. I mean, this is easy for you to live, but man, you're not, I'm not in your world and you're not in my world. You don't understand. And don't think for a minute, my friend, don't think just because I'm a pastor that Karen and I, we don't have problems. Just because, you know, we, we're, I'm a pastor, I'm a man of the cloth, doesn't mean that our kids are perfect. We've got the same problem that you have. We live in a sin-filled, broken world, just like you live. But Karen and I, listen, we've decided, we've decided that we'll seek God together and that we'll forgive 
that were alive, we've decided together to fight fair. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to fight to win. She's not going to fight to win. We're, we've decided to fight for resolution, to fight fair. We've decided that we're going to have fun in our relationship. We've decided to stay out of trouble and to stay pure. We've decided to never give up. The key is, it takes both of us as one. And I know all day long, some of you are saying, well, I'm trying, and he's not. Well, she's trying, and she's not trying, and I'm, I'm trying. You know, and, and I acknowledge that. It takes two, but it's going to take two. And some of you right now, you need to let God speak to you that you are one. Don't unwind what God make one. And since you're one, you might as well decide what kind of marriage you're going to have. You can decide now, together, we're going to have a good marriage or a bad marriage. You decide. It can be as good as you decide. Story told about a, a concert, Buddy Rich. Some of us old-timers know Buddy Rich, one of the best drummers of all time. He can mesmerize a crowd just doing a drum solo. And then a concert who was kind of like the, the warm-up act for Frank Sinatra, part of the pack rat. And he was doing a 10-minute drum solo, just, just going to town. And the crowd would just, just tune in. It was amazing. And when it was all done, you know, when he was finished with his drum solo, the crowd jumped to their feet to a standing ovation. And Frank Sinatra, he comes out, he's blown away too. He's like, man, wasn't that awesome? And then he said this. He said it to uh, Buddy Rich. He said, it's a great idea to stay out of things. It's a great idea to stay out of things. See, my friend, don't give up. Don't give up. By the way, when I say that we're not giving up, what I'm not saying is that, why it's God. We'll just make it work. We'll be miserable. <laughs> but well, bless God, bless God, what they married. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that we're never going to give up on a God-honoring, God-blessed marriage. Therefore, you never stop seeking God. You pray together. We don't, we don't, uh, we, we stop fight, you know, we never stop fighting fair. We fight for resolution. We're going to have fun. We're going to make time for each other. We're going to hold nothing back. We're going to serve each other. We're going to submit to one another. We're never, ever, 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 ever going to give up because the Bible said this in Galatians chapter 6 that we don't grow weary in doing the good thing and the right thing. For at the proper time, the proper time, could it be that it isn't quite yet the time? You know, God's God time is not always our timing. Let God work through it, but the proper time. Sometimes we say, well, I want it now, but the proper time, it's not up to you to decide, it's for God to decide. The proper time. The Bible said that at the proper time, you'll reap a harvest. The harvest can actually be a beautiful picture of two broken people who 
stay together. The model God's love. The harvest can be like, hey, for better or for worse, I still got the cut. We're still one. It's not pretty. It's not perfect. But I made the cut. And I'm all in. Even when it's tough. You know, maybe you're here today, it's tough. But you want to work at it. I mean, men, husband, wife, get help. Don't do this alone. Get some help. Get some counseling. When I say counseling, get some biblical counseling. Get some Christian counseling. You go to the wrong counselor, the wrong counselor can tell you, how oh, marriage is a contract. I've seen them. I've heard of it. Well, you know, marriage is no big deal. You don't love them no more. Just get out of it. Find a, find a Christian counselor that can encourage you not to give up. Don't unwind what God made one. You know why? It's a great idea to stay out of things. God will love you and thank you for a tough message, a challenging message for all of us. For couples that are together, for couples that are not together, for singles that are looking ahead, God, I pray you help us to see marriage as something sacred, God-honoring, a covenant, a covenant. God, I pray that we don't look at our marriage like a contract. If that's the case, why? What's the point? God, I pray that we see as a covenant who are all in, all or nothing. We're committed to you. And so, God, I pray you help us today. I know there are a lot of emotions. There might be a lot of things going on in each and every one of our hearts. God, maybe there's some of us who say, man, I've blown it in the past. God, I pray that they will see the forgiveness, that there's redemption, that you can redeem a person, redeem a broken heart, and that there is a future. Because we live and serve a covenant God who loves us unconditional despite of our failures. So God, I pray you help us through this message as we leave today. I pray that we will do what you called us to do to be committed in a marriage relationship. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.